Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Listen, I think that it's fair to say that nutrition isn't the first thing in mind when it comes to cancer, but eating well can make a huge difference in dealing with cancer during treatment and in recovery. So today you're going to hear from Julie Lenford, and Julie is a cancer dietitian from the United States who's going to clear up some of the biggest myths and misconceptions about nutrition and cancer. So whether you find it difficult to eat at the moment, or maybe you're relying too much on comfort foods, or maybe you don't really know much about eating well during cancer, you're going to get tons of fantastic, in-depth, practical advice from Julie that you can apply right now. Julie, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so Julie, I I, uh, I just heard that bacon and sausages are now considered to be <laughs> a grade one carcinogen by the World Health Organization, and that kind of um, really ruined my week. <laughs> What's with that? Is that is that even true? So it is true. They were sort of upgraded. It's been a couple of years upgraded, whatever you want to call it. So it is a class one carcinogen, but I think it's important to understand really what that means. So just because something's a class one carcinogen, you know, you also have to have a lot of exposure before it will cause a problem. And so tobacco or cigarettes, you know, they are also a class one carcinogen, but by smoking regularly, it increases your risk by like, I don't know, double digit percentages for cancer. But eating things like bacon and processed foods, which is the sausages, you know, they have the the preservatives and additives. It does increase your risk specifically for colon cancer. The increase in risk is pretty, you know, it's small, but it is something. And so I always tell people, you know, I wouldn't make a habit out of eating bacon. Right now, it seems bacon is pretty popular because <laughs> I went to a <laughs> restaurant. I went to a restaurant the other day and it was like every other me- menu item had bacon on it. So, you know, I say something's a habit if you do it three times a week or more. That's not, bacon is not something I would make a habit out of. But if it's something you eat once a month, I'm not too worried about it. So it comes down to how often and how much are you having at a time. Okay, that's that's fantastic, Jill. I think that, that makes me feel the whole world better. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, Jill, I know you're big on providing information that is evidence-based. Can you talk about what that is and, and why is that important? Yeah, so I think many people are confused about what evidence-based really means. Just because a scientific study happened doesn't make something evidence-based. So evidence-based recommendations mean that there have been multiple well-designed studies showing the same results, enough to the point where we have kind of consensus among scientists or medical professionals that there should be a recommendation around that particular, you know, issue. And so I think where a lot of people get confused is just because a study was done if that study was done in, in mice or rats or an animal model, or it's only one study and there aren't multiple studies going on about that topic, it doesn't make it evidence-based. It might make it interesting, but it doesn't mean it's something that we absolutely have to sort of change our lifestyle around. 
So evidence-based means that sort of a, a body of experts have gotten together and they rank the evidence. And if there is consensus that say something like fruits and vegetables are good for us, which generally everybody agrees upon, there's lots and lots of data on that. Yay. Exactly. So there is foundation around cancer and, and eating more fruits and vegetables and plant foods. So I think it is, you know, some of the other topics are interesting, but I would I think we should build our foundation around healthy eating on evidence-based recommendations from reputable medical bodies. And then if you want to layer other things on top of that, that maybe have less evidence, but maybe it makes you feel good or, you know, makes you feel like you're doing something additional. I think that's fine. But we, we definitely want to focus on the things that have the strongest evidence. Yeah, that makes so much sense, Julie. So how, how do you incorporate it into your daily practice? Do you read uh, research journals? How does it work? Well, so I, there are way too many research studies for me to ever read them all. <laughs> because that, <laughs> you know, I have to actually go out and educate people and not just sit in an office and read all day long. So what I do is rely on the strong science-backed, evidence-based sort of bodies. And so in the U.S. anyway, we have the U.S. Preventive Task Force for, for more like screening type tests. But when it comes to nutrition and cancer, I spend a lot of time with the American Institute for Cancer Research, and they have great information. Their website is AICR.org. And so they have actually an expert report where they rank evidence and they do updates, continuous update project is what they call it. And then they have them around different types of cancer. So I tend to kind of stay on top of what they are recommending. And also, um, you know, American Cancer Society has some good research uh, briefs. And then the National Cancer Institute are also great places to go. So I tend to rely on, you know, people smarter than me <laughs> to sort of direct me <laughs> in, in those as, as we all do. Yeah, absolutely. Because 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 it's it's so important to um yeah to really look at the real data out there because there are there is a lot of myths and misconceptions around nutrition and cancer. So what would you say are some of the biggest ones? Oh, so I would say the number one myth would be sugar feeds cancer. Uh, people are constantly coming in asking me about that. <laughs> um, I call it right, a yeah yeah. I call it a myth because it's, you know, there might be a little piece of truth, which yes, glucose is an energy source for cancer cells, but it's also an energy source for every cell in our body. And when you think about the, you know, term sugar feeds cancer, there's nothing you would do about that. It's not like if you quit eating sugar then the cancer cell will stop growing. It just doesn't work that way. So um, the way I describe it is that every cell in our body runs on glucose or that building block of carbohydrates, um, which some people term sugar. Um, and we don't get to pick and choose which cell gets what fuel. So from a practical standpoint, it's not helpful of a thing to say except to scare somebody um, and make them very anxious about the foods that they eat. Uh, but of course, we want to use common sense. Certainly, we don't want people to eat a whole lot of sugar, sweetened beverages and desserts all the time. So there is a common sense kind of balance. But that's one of the top myths. Um, more recently, I would say, at least around the people that I see, 
Some clients are a little bit afraid of eating meat or dairy products right now based on some popular documentaries that are sort of not sharing the the strongest information. So I'm fine if somebody wants to not eat meat at all. That's a personal choice, but we don't have good, strong evidence showing that you shouldn't eat meat. We do have lots of evidence showing you should eat lots of plants. So whether you eat meat or not, you should still <laughs> eat lots of plants. Okay, that's great. And um, we know that the immune system kind of shuts off during chemo. So is it a good idea to take vitamins or minerals that can boost your immune system? Well, I mean, I would say there's not good evidence to show that taking pill forms of, you know, nutrients actually does boost your immune system. There is some evidence to show that we don't want people taking antioxidant supplements during treatment, um, that it might counteract what we're trying to do with cancer treatment. So, you know, there are mixed studies on antioxidants during treatment. And so we sort of err on the side of caution. And we say, if you want to eat food sources of antioxidants or tea, like green tea, that's perfectly fine. But we don't want anyone to take really high doses of them in pill form. Yeah, because uh, chemotherapy is actually pretty good at changing your taste buds, so causing you your treatment and, and sometimes beyond. So what advice do you have around managing that? Yeah, so everybody's experience is different. It depends on what type of chemo and how your body reacts to it. Um, we do have strategies for all different types of you know issues that might come about when it comes to nutrition. But specifically around taste changes, um, a lot of times we will have people, if you have like kind of a metal taste in your mouth from the chemo, some people, they find it helpful to drink lemon water before they eat, to not eat with metal silverware because that kind of makes that metal taste worse. So you can use plastic silverware. Um, for some people, their taste buds are real muted, and so they don't taste very well, and so they need to use more spicy foods. But then some people have sore mouth sores, and spicy foods bother them, so they need to eat bland foods. So there's no one across-the-board recommendation. It really depends on each individual and what they're dealing with, and then we troubleshoot based on that. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, I remember there was a guy in my oncology ward who pretty much stopped drinking coffee just because um, he had it during chemo and like to him it was just disgusting <laughs> <laughs> and then I think I think uh, he just stops drinking it period you know yeah a lot of people you know it can be if it's not a good habit <laughs> then it's a positive thing <laughs> that it forces them to change their habits but especially around those comfort foods that you're really used to and then your chemo makes it so they don't taste good that's it's like adding insult to injury that the you know well i enjoyed drinking that coffee every day and now it doesn't taste right and that's I've made one more thing that i you know <laughs> have to deal with um but there are <laughs> when people lose their taste buds when they start coming back i usually recommend that they try to optimize that and take advantage of that opportunity to sort of train their new taste buds to really like healthy foods. So if they have habits they've been wanting to sort of let fall away, they can train their taste buds to like better foods. Yeah, that's a great idea, Jill. Because that, that, yeah, that could be like a conscious beginning of a new new phase of life. Yeah, where you where you eat better. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what are some of the most important uh, things to uh, keep in mind? I guess when it comes to diet before and after treatment. 
So for most people who, let's say, you know, during treatment, they didn't have too many side effects that prevented them from eating kind of normal foods. Um, and they're looking at after treatment and kind of the way I say it, how can they optimize their nutrition and optimize their survivorship? And I do programs here at the nonprofit that I work for. And we focus on nutrition, exercise, stress management, and then medical management, which are all, I think, really important pieces of optimizing survivorship. So from a nutrition standpoint, I really focus on the recommendation that cancer survivors follow the same things that we recommend for cancer risk reduction, which is essentially eating a plant-based diet, not eating too much, you know, of the sugar-sweetened beverages, not eating too much added salt, and not eating too much of the red and processed meats. But I think what's most important for people is to really focus on getting the nutrients that their body needs to function. And especially as they're healing up after treatment where they might have had their treatment affected, not just the cancer cells to get rid of those, but it also had effects on other parts of the body. So there's a lot of healing that's going on. Um, supporting that healing with good nutrition choices, good quality sources of nutrients, which come mainly from food. Because when you choose food sources of nutrients, you get a lot, a lot of variety of nutrients. You choose lots of different colors in your foods. You're getting a variety of nutrients, and they're all really important to promote, you know, good growth of healthy cells and also supporting the immune system. So we do promote kind of a plant-based eating, whether that includes small portions of meat or not is sort of a, you know, choose your own adventure. But definitely focusing a lot on plant foods and making sure to get plenty of fruits and vegetables every day. Yeah, well, so Julie, you, you touched on colors and, and the fact that you should be mixing up foods of different colors. So how does that work? So by colors, I mean like the colors in the foods as they're grown, not like, um, I don't know if you have Kool-Aid there. But <laughs> so the <laughs> we're not talking about you know fruit punch or colors like that. What we want from the colors are things like red in the tomatoes, red in the um, watermelon, orange, you know, from sweet potatoes or carrots, oranges, yellow, you know, from variety of things, but squash. So when you eat all those different colors, the colors really represent the type of plant nutrients that are in that food. So you don't have to have a degree in nutrition to figure out that when you eat a variety of foods, you get a variety of nutrients and your body will get what it needs. Uh, we don't want people eliminating all of one food group. We want you to eat a little bit of every food group and we want you to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, Julie. So another area that we could open another can of worms here, but um, I know exercise is, is uh, and we could probably talk about that for hours, it's such a huge area and, and exercise and diet go hand in hand. But what is some of the advice that, that you'd have on that front? So, you know, exercise isn't my specialty, but they do go hand in hand. And so what I know is that people can eat you know, all the right nutrients, but if they're not utilizing their body the way it needs to be used, your body won't need all those nutrients. So especially when it comes to protein, people will say, well, should I tr take a protein drink or should I use protein powder? Well, at least in the US, most people eat more protein than they need anyway. And the reason you want protein is to rebuild your cells, to rebuild muscle. Well, a lot of people aren't exercising. And so exercise is what builds muscle. Um, so it's a perfect complement, but you know, your nutrition plan is only going to go so far. 
And especially after treatment, a lot of people, their body composition has changed as a result of treatment or the fact that they were less active during treatment. And to get their body composition back to sort of a healthy balance where we have plenty of muscle tissue and lean body mass, it really is going to require, nutrition is never going to build muscle. Nutrition can help to build the cells when you're exercising. And so I, I focus a lot on helping people recognize their need for exercise. I don't know exactly what types or how to do it, but especially weight-bearing exercise can help build muscle. It helps make build bones, which can be a big side effect for a lot of certain types of chemotherapy is, is risk for you know bone loss. It also just helps you feel better. Um, so fatigue is much better um, managed when people are physically active. So all of those things, you know, I think exercise is fun and also uh, very much beneficial. Yeah, fantastic. So you spoke about plant-based eating. Can you talk about why that's important and like why would you go incorporate this into your daily life? And what is the best way to do it like in a practical way? Because I guess uh, many people myself included, I think I may may not be used to that. Yeah. So with the plant-based eating, I think that the most important thing is to think about every time you sit down to eat, that you have the opportunity to give your body some nutrients it needs to function. And for the most part, we need a lot of phytochemicals. So phyto means plant. These are just plant nutrients that our bodies need to function. And you need a lot of them every day. So when you sit down to eat, half of our plate should be covered in fruits and or vegetables. A quarter of our plate would be covered in some sort of whole grain, which is also a plant food. So that counts as, um, you know, part of your plant intake. And then you have a quarter of your plate that would be protein. And that's where you get to choose. Do you want to have meat or dairy products on your plate for protein? Or do you want to have more plants, which is what vegetarians and vegans do? And they get their protein from beans and nuts and seeds. So what I encourage people to do is have one cup of fruit at breakfast, because most people don't want vegetables at breakfast, a cup of fruit at breakfast, a cup of vegetables at lunch, a cup of vegetables at dinner, and then most people enjoy fruits and they snack on them throughout the day. That will help add up your total. And if you're getting to, you know, four to five cups a day combined with fruits and vegetables, that's what we're aiming for. And then the other, I think, kind of key indicator of a plant-based diet is, are you having plant proteins every day? Even if you're a meat eater, you should still be having beans, nuts, and seeds, at least one serving a day. And then, you know, the other things will kind of fall into place. So if you have fried foods occasionally, or you have desserts occasionally, that's not a big deal as long as you're still meeting the core of getting all of those plant nutrients so that you can make sure that all your cells have the tools that they need. Yeah, that's great, Julie. So what about the times when you're in treatment and like eating is is physically difficult? What can you do? Yeah, so when eating is hard then we sometimes say, okay, maybe we should just find whatever we can. (laughs) So especially during treatment, if, you know, if someone really cannot tolerate any of these healthy foods or plant foods, having something to eat and getting enough calories and protein is more important than anything else um, because we need them to get those calories and protein in If it's a milkshake and that's all that they can get in, if it's one of those 
canned nutrition beverages, if that's all they can get down, that is better than nothing. Uh, The last thing we want is for somebody to not get enough food. Because if you're not getting enough calories and you're not getting enough protein and you have a diagnosis of cancer and you're going under treatment, we have plenty of studies showing that that will lead to malnutrition and that malnutrition leads to poor outcomes. And so we want to do whatever we can to make sure that people get enough food in. And if they can't tolerate, you know, fruits and vegetables and all the healthy things that we're talking about, then it's time to think about, well, can we add calories with healthy foods like nuts and avocados and, you know, olive oil and healthy fats? If we can do that, great. If they can't even tolerate that and all it is is ice cream, then it's just going to be ice cream for a little bit of time until they get through it. Absolutely. And and speaking of drinks, what's your take on alcohol? And I mean, I know I've heard a lot about drinking in moderation. And uh, what is that? And how, how can you apply it in practical terms? Yes. So we know that alcohol increases risk for cancer, several different types of cancer, it increases risk. Again, it comes down to how often and how much are you having at a time. So that's where moderation comes in. I find a lot of people don't know what moderation really is. You know, they can't actually define (laughs) it. So our definition... Or can't stop themselves. Or they start and they can't seem to stop at moderation. (laughs) So the definition of moderation when it comes to alcohol is one drink a day for women, two drinks a day for men. You don't get to save those up for the weekend. It's like once, yeah, once your day is over, that's your drink or not. I tend to think, you know, I would not have a drink every single day. To me, that is a habit and it's not a habit that I want to make every day. Um, but a drink is, is considered 12 ounces of beer, five ounces of wine, which is, you know, like not that much, um, or an ounce and a half of liquor. So really, you know, finding that balance is important. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. And if we go back to food, so I know you have so many great recipes on your website. So what was your favorite one? And like, I guess when you don't have much time. Yeah, so I, gosh, I have a lot of favorite recipes. Okay, so there's a couple ones (laughs) that I use all the time. I have a smoothie recipe. It's a green smoothie with bananas and peanut butter. Um, and spinach, and it's delicious. So I use milk, I think it's a cup of milk, and two tablespoons of peanut butter, and two teaspoons of dark cocoa powder, a cup of spinach, and a frozen banana is really important. That blended up is delicious. And it can be like that would be a breakfast meal. Um, Or if it's a snack, I'd probably have half of it. I also love making granola. So I have a granola recipe on my website. I do a lot of crock pot recipes because that tends to be easy. So I do chili, bean chili. I don't put meat in my chili. So bean chili in a crock pot is something that I really like to do a lot. Um, I like to do curry recipes. A lot of people ask about turmeric. You know, all types of herbs and spices are good for us. So curry is a great way to include that in your in your foods. Um, but it doesn't, you know, you don't have to be fancy to eat healthy. Sometimes I just go to the grocery store and I grab a piece of fruit. I grab some carrots. I grab um, like hummus and crackers and maybe a little thing of yogurt. And that will be my, you know, that's a lunch. It doesn't have to be fancy. 
Yeah, that's fantastic, Joel, because I think I think that's that's actually another misconception that it does have to be something really fancy and elaborate and, and, and that I think that puts a lot of people off, doesn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, it puts me off. <laughs> it makes me feel like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I'll just forget it. I'll just go to a drive through, you know, and get whatever I feel like getting. But when you kind of try to lower the bar and make it simple, I mean, we at least here in I live in the southern part of the U.S. And when I moved here, people would eat peanut butter and banana on a sandwich. And it was kind of like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> Only you put banana instead of jelly. And it's really good. And also, it's cheap and it's easy. Um, so, And most people like it. So finding those really simple things, I think, is the key to making healthy eating fun and also simple. Yeah, I think that's that's an especially important point if someone's um, you know dealing with treatment or after treatment because uh, you know you you've got fatigue, you've got all those things, you're really not in the mood to you know spend hours in the kitchen, right? No way, unless unless someone really likes to cook, like that's their hobby and that's what gives them kind of purpose and meaning, and they like it. You know, life is too short to stress out and spend half your day in the kitchen chopping things. Um, so we got to figure out, yeah, how to, how to eat, you know, nourish ourselves, but also allow ourselves time to do other things. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's another stigma, I guess, like, that's come, that comes with healthy eating is that people think that it's all about denying yourself food that you love. I mean, is that true? Well, it's definitely a stigma. Um, I think people have a hard time figuring out that, Hey, a special treat's okay. Sometimes. You should have a special treat sometimes. It shouldn't be like, oh, I do a really good job when I never, ever treat myself. That's not that's not fair. So we should be able to find that balance. But then I also know people who tend to sort of uh, fuel or feed their emotions with food. And that's not healthy either. So they might be eating junk food too often, like every single day. Um, or it becomes this habit where they cope emotionally with with challenges by eating certain things. Um, so it's hard to figure out what that balance is. But certainly, we should be able to enjoy desserts and and special, you know, treats on occasion. Yeah, exactly. And it also comes together with, uh, you know, having, having great intentions in mind. Sometimes you you, you want to do the right thing, but uh, I guess we have trouble sticking with it. And that's why most New Year's resolutions go out the door a few months later. So do you have some thoughts around how you can stay on track with and build on, you know, healthy habits? Yeah. You know, for a lot of people, we don't, we're not really aware of what our habits are. So the first thing, if somebody wants to come in and see me and get some nutrition advice, I actually, I say they have to show me the money. And that's not like dollar bills. It's uh, <laughs> the money that I ask for is that they keep a food record for a whole week where I don't want them to just, you know, write down kind of what they ate. I need them to specifically write down what exactly they ate and how much of it and what did they drink and how much of it did they drink? Because we don't have to memorize everything we eat. But if we're looking at wanting to maybe make some healthy changes, we need to do an audit. And so by writing down what we eat for a week, it shows us, you know, I don't want people to make changes before they write it down. I want them to write down what they're actually doing so that we can pick out what are the habits maybe that aren't so good. What are some things that we could make substitutions for or, or change up a little bit? Or maybe they have a habit they're 
they're eating treats too often and we just need to cut it back to a more reasonable amount. Um, so really, that's the first thing that I would do is to keep a record for a, for a week to figure out what they're actually doing. And then to sort of count up the number of fruits and vegetables they eat every day. That's another simple place to figure out, oh, maybe they actually need to eat more fruits and vegetables to, to improve their nutrition. So those are, those are the first things I start with is I count up the fruits and vegetables when somebody brings me a week long food log. Absolutely, Julia. Like it, it makes so much sense because we're really not honest with ourselves. Like, yeah, yes, if you were to ask me on the spot, I would probably immediately, like what I had last week, for example, I would immediately uh, discount all the snacks that I had, and I would easily <laughs> have the amount of alcohol that I, you know, that I had. So, yeah, <laughs> you really do have to keep a log yep. and, and and keep yourself honest. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so is there is there something that people often miss when they try to have a healthy diet but they aren't really getting the results that they want? Um let's see. So I think sometimes people skip meals or they don't eat a a full meal if that makes sense. So they would eat something at lunch but it might not be the right combination of foods. So we want to make sure that at meal times, you know, we have fruits and or vegetables, we have whole grains and we have protein. A lot of times at breakfast, people hardly have any protein at all. And then maybe at lunch they have a salad, but they don't have any carbohydrates. And so what they, they're not balanced throughout the day. And we need them to eat kind of consistent amounts throughout the day. And, you know, the other thing that happens is that they often ignore their hunger and fullness cues, which is a big problem. So if their body is actually hungry, we want them to eat. And we also want them to stop eating when they're full. And a lot of people eat so fast that they get through their food before their body can even tell their brain that they're full. So slowing down mealtimes, tasting their food, making sure they have a variety of nutrients on their plate, and then really paying attention to if they're hungry, they should probably have a snack and then do not skip meals. That's what I usually <laughs> kind of a red flag. Yeah, yeah. And, and what are some of the books or, or other resources that you'd recommend for a person who, who's dealing with cancer? Or maybe they want to build a healthy life after cancer? Yeah. So there's a few, I think, I think there's a lot of really not quality books on nutrition. <laughs> so I'm always cautious yeah. about that. There's some cookbooks, I think that are pretty good. One of my favorite cookbooks, it's not specifically cancer related, but it is called Lickety Split Meals. Um, it's a dietitian here in the US who wrote it. Very practical, lots of like quick and easy, healthy meals. Um, so I think people need more of that. There are some eating well through cancer cookbooks that I think are pretty good by Rebecca Katz. And so it talks some about side effects, but also healthy eating. Here at the nonprofit that I work for, I host a mindful eating program and we contract a dietitian to come teach that. And the books that she really, her favorite ones to help people get more in touch with their hunger and fullness cues and to, um, kind of try to avoid emotional eating is called intuitive eating. And it even has a, a workbook with it now, which is really handy. So those are things that I, I really think are great tools to, to help guide people. Yeah. I love those PDFs that are very simple and clear on your website. 
Like I've got one of my friends right now that really help guide you through making these decisions on, on what to eat better. So if somebody wanted to check out your, your products online or even work with you individually, like what would they do? Yeah. So the website cancerdietitian.com is lots of recipes. I have all kinds of different things on there. I do have some printable handouts on a variety of different topics. Um, and those are available. Some of them are free. Some are for purchase. Um, and they support the nonprofit I work for. So I think that's a nice thing. People can email me. Um, I usually respond pretty well. I don't do online consultations, but I do know some dietitians who do that, some oncology dietitians. Um, but on social media, I'm happy to kind of, if somebody sees something, you know, on Facebook and they're wondering, is that true or not? I get a lot of followers who will send it to me or ask my opinion. Um, and so those are easy things to, to do and to engage with, with some of my programs. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic advice, uh, Julie. And, and, and I think that, you know, nutrition during cancer is an area that really doesn't get uh, enough attention. It's true. And, you know, the interesting thing is there's just not a lot of us oncology dietitians compared to the number of people who are being treated. And at least in the U.S., insurance coverage doesn't pay for it. And so a lot of cancer centers might have like one or two dietitians, if you're lucky, for, you know, a lot of patients. And so sometimes it falls on the healthcare providers that aren't dietitians and they don't always know how to respond. But I do, I always encourage when somebody emails me, I encourage them to at least ask their cancer center for, you know, a referral to a dietitian um, because, you know, the more they hear that, the more likely they are to start staffing someone on site to help with that yeah absolutely because i i mean i only found out about oncology dietetics pretty much after the fact and i wish i found that uh, earlier because for example i put on um a, a whole lot of weight during treatment because i was on steroids yeah. and it made me <laughs> eat a lot of a lot of food and not necessarily the best food <laughs> so i think a lot of folks um need advice around that and i think it's it would be great to have a lot more awareness around it oh yeah for sure. Thanks so much for your time, Julie. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for uh, asking me to come on. 